From the Media Factory in the south end of Burlington, Vermont, this is 99.3 FM, WBTVLP Burlington, streaming online at 993wbtv.org. This is Write the Book, the show for writers and curious readers. I'm Shayla Connor Shapiro. Today on Write the Book, you'll hear a recording of a panel that took place at the inaugural Green Mountain Book Festival in September. This one with mystery and thriller authors. The presentation includes introductions, so I'll just fill you in a bit about the Green Mountain Book Festival, which is a new annual literary celebration in Burlington, Vermont. It takes place every fall um, and usually September-October time period. Um, This panel took place at the Fletcher Free Library, which is a magical place, and you may hear it operating in the background because it was also open to the public while while the festival was going on. The one person who doesn't get an intro... Um, is the moderator, Rachel Carter. So I'll tell you a little bit about her. Raised in rural Vermont, Rachel Carter grew up surrounded by trees and mountains. She is the author of three books published with Harper Teen, including This Strange and Familiar Place, Find Me Where the Water Ends, and So Close to You, which was nominated for a Teen Choice Book Award. She graduated from the University of Vermont with a degree in English and Women's Studies, and she currently holds an MFA in nonfiction creative writing from Columbia University. Her nonfiction has appeared in The New Republic, The Faster Times, Verbicide Magazine, and Booktrib.com, where she was a regular contributor for over three years. Um, In addition to writing YA novels, Rachel is an experienced teacher and editor. She taught undergraduate creative writing at Columbia University and Champlain College, and graduate-level courses in the MFA writing program at Southern New Hampshire University. She's currently a visiting professor of fiction at Montclair State University, where she specializes in young adult writing. She's also a freelance editor, and she lives between Brooklyn, New York, and Vermont. I hope you enjoy this conversation about mysteries and thrillers, moderated by Vermont author Rachel Carter. Hello and welcome. My name is Rachel Carter and I'm going to be the moderator of this mystery and thriller panel. I'm a young adult novelist who admittedly is very afraid of of mystery, thriller, and horror. Um, but I'm very excited to hear what our writers have to say today and you know to pick their brains a little bit. Um, so I'm going to introduce each of them, kind of going down the line here, uh, and then we're going to play a little game with the audience. We want to do two truths and a lie uh, with each of our panelists panelists and they're going to tell us some kind of mystery thriller themed truths and one lie and then we as an audience have to guess which is which so get ready for that Um, and then we're going to do some questions so I will ask them some questions and then towards the end open it up to the audience Um, so why don't we get started on the end here we have Micaiah Baygalt Micaiah is the author of the novel Goodnight Stranger, which was a finalist for the Shirley Jackson Award and the Center for Fiction's First Novel Prize. Micaiah's fiction and essays have appeared in the New York Times Modern Love column, Poets and Writers, Tin House, Lit Hub, The Harvard Review, The Sun, The Southern Review, Agni, and other journals. Micaiah is on faculty at the MF at the MFA in writing, uh, in writing program at Vermont College of Fine Arts, and she coordinates the Vermont Book Award. And here we have Margot Harrison. 
Margot is the associate editor of Vermont Alt Weekly Seven Days, where she reviews books and film. Her first YA novel, The Killer in Me, was an Indies introduced pick and a finalist for the Vermont Book Award. She's also the author of The Glare and Junior Library Guild Selection, We Made It All Up. Here we have Sarah Stewart-Taylor. Sarah is the author of the Sweeney St. George series and the Maggie Darcy series. She grew up on Long Island and was educated at Middlebury College in Vermont and Trinity College Dublin, where she studied Irish literature. She has worked as a journalist and writing teacher and now lives with her family on a farm in Vermont where they raise sheep and grow blueberries. And here we have Sarah Strohmeyer. Sarah is the author of 20 novels, including a spoof on Barbie, an Agatha award-winning mystery series, a fictional account of weight loss that became the Lifetime movie Lying to be Perfect, and several books for young adults. Of her 2021 suspense novel, Do I Know You?, New York Times critic Sarah Wyman raved, it kept me reading near breathless, near breathless until all assumptions were gloriously upended. Her next novel, a suspenseful take on home renovation shows we love to entertain, will be published by HarperCollins in April 2023. In her day job, Sarah is the elected town clerk of Middlesex, Vermont, where she lives with her husband and cat. Her two adult children live 4,000 miles away in opposite directions, and she's sure that's no reflection on her parenting. <laughs> so we're going to dive into the two truths and lie and just get to know our panelists a little bit more. So we're going to start with Micaiah. Okay. Hi, everybody. Can you hear me? Okay. So we were asked to think of the scariest, you know, scary stories to tell you for two truths and a lie. So I thought, what's the scariest thing I, I can share about me? Number one, I was in a hot air balloon crash. It was terrifying. It happened when I was in my early 20s. Um, also strangely a little romantic, even through the terror, because I was with a boyfriend and we were sort of visiting his parents for the first time and we went up in the hot air balloon to, you know, just have an adventure while we were there. And it it did crash. It was oh it was pretty scary. Um, yeah, you know, everyone survived. It was fine. A little louder? Yeah, okay. Um, that's number one, hot air balloon crash. Number two, um, well, I, I didn't grow up in Vermont, but I was born in Vermont and lived in Vermont just for my first few years. And during that time, something happened to me. Um, when I was just a toddler, I wandered away from, from home, you know, just out in my backyard, um, you know, while my mother had her back turned just for a, for a minute. I only have sort of little glimpses of memory of this and... Um, you know, and some people think this is more of a hallucination than than truth, but I wandered away. I was alone. There was a creek sort of back through a little strip of woods in our backyard, and I was heading towards it. Um, I swear to God, a bear came and sat in my path and wouldn't let me cross and sat there until, you know, my mother found me, basically kept me from Drowning is how I like to think of it. Wow. Uh, you know, I, I remember it. I remember seeing this. So believe that if you will. But since then, I have been obsessed with stories of children um, kind of encountering animals in this way. And it, I'm working something like that into my next novel. Mm -hmm. um, okay, number three. I used to share my office with a ghost. Um, I work at Vermont College of Fine Arts, and for years I had 
the office that was at the base of one of the towers of our old sort of beautiful administrative building on campus. A ghost was also there, and she made herself known. She has a sort of basis in history. Her name was Anna. She was um, part of a love triangle that turned fatal, you know, over 100 years ago. And she haunts the building, and her hangout was in my office. She would sometimes turn the music up and down, lower and raise the music. I, ha- I used to bring, bring my baby to work after he was first born, and um, I had a swing, you know, one of those that had lights and music, and sometimes I would come in on Monday morning, and the swing would be going, the music would be playing, the lights would be flashing, because Anna had turned it on. Those are my three stories for you today. Okay, so we have hot air balloon crash, (laughs) bear encounter, or ghost. Two of them are true, one of them is a lie. But I don't know if we can really trust mystery and thriller writers, so we'll see how this goes. Um, So who guesses that hot air balloon crash is a lie? Okay, who guesses bear is a lie? And who thinks ghost is a lie? (laughs) We all believe in ghosts. We're like, oh yeah, there's ghosts in my office too. (laughs) All right, Micaiah, which one is it? The bear is a lie. I really wasn't a hot air balloon. (laughs) But I am obsessed with it. I feel like this is going to feel like you guys writing books, like well on stage a little bit. Um, Okay, Margot, you're up. Hi, can you hear me? (laughs) Okay, mine are going to be a little bit less detailed. (laughs) But um, for my first book was loosely based on the case of a serial killer who struck very near, very close to where I live and actually killed two people. That's my first story. My second story, researching this book, my third book, I stayed at a haunted inn in Montana, and I don't know if I would say I met a bear, but I definitely saw a bear. I was close to a bear. (laughs) And my third story, um, I recently appeared on TikTok dressed up like the heroine of the horror movie Pearl. Okay, Mm. so (laughs) we have serial killer, another bear story, which I'm wondering if it's going to be a common theme in Vermont. Um, And then three is the TikTok. So who thinks serial killer is a lie? Okay, who thinks bear is a lie? And who thinks TikTok is a lie? Bear? I, I can only choose one, right? <laughs> the, the bear one is a lie. I've, <laughs> I've never even been Team to Montana. <laughs> I like how the theme is now lying about bears. Um, okay, Sarah, go ahead. All right. So my first one is that uh, once while hiking uh, on a cliff uh, in Ireland, I looked down and saw a body in the water. Mm. Um, Gee, sounds like a book I just and, read. And yeah, there, I do have a book <laughs> that has a similar, so you, know, you read into that what you want. Um, my second one is that uh, one time my husband and I were uh, slaughtering chickens, or we were slaughtering our chickens, and we had a lot of you know stuff that you have to deal with at, when you're done slaughtering chickens. And we went uh, on sort of a back road on, our, on our, the road that we live on, and we were digging a hole and it was it was a dusk like we'd been working all day and it was sort of at dusk and one of our neighbors came by 
And, you know, it was like getting dark and he saw us digging a hole and he just looked at us and he didn't say anything. And the next time we saw him, I felt like I had to explain because it seemed a little suspicious. And he just he just looked at me and said, you don't need to explain. I'll never ask any questions. (laughs) And my third one is that when I was in third grade, Uh, our class guinea pig disappeared. And by interrogating uh, all of the members of my class, I managed to figure out where it had gone. Okay, (laughs) so we have body in water, Mm -hmm. slaughtering chickens, or young detective. Mm -hmm. Who thinks that body in water is a lie? Okay, slaughtering chickens. Okay, and the last one, young detective. Mm-hmm. Sarah? So young detective is a lie. <laughs> I, but I have, to, um, I have to amend the body in the water story to tell you that it was a mannequin mm. and some kids were playing a trick on all of the hikers. It was like a Sunday afternoon. Uh. There were all these people hiking on Hothhead um, near Dublin and uh, these kids really did a number on a lot of those Sunday hikers. So. Mm. Exciting. Okay, Sarah. This is the other Sarah. Hi. Um, so the first, the first story is of two uh, killers in Trenton State Prison tied together sheets and escaped in 1985, threw them over the edge and, and disappeared into the city of Trenton. And the first person they called was me. Second story, I was driving through a cemetery late at night in Melville, Long Island, when a corpse flew into my, into my window. That's the second story. Third story is, I was once set up on a blind date with Jim McGreevy, the former New Jersey governor who was later disgraced. And at the end of the blind date, he asked if I would marry him. So, those are the three. These are all wild. <laughs> and the last one, the last one is strangely scary. <laughs> okay, so we have prison break. Prison break. We have um, Corp- corpse going through the window at the cemetery. Cor- I don't know how for corpse going through the window, <laughs> and then we have blind date from hell. Yeah, yes? oh God, yeah. <laughs> that's like half the Okay, so who thinks this is the first one? Prison break. <sighs> Okay, who thinks it's second corpse? And who thinks it's blind date? Okay. So the only part of the blind date story that's wrong is that uh, after Jim introduced me to everyone at the fundraiser that I was his longstanding girlfriend and we had known each other all of like one hour, um, I said, yeah, I got out of there. He, was, he would have asked me to marry him because he would have asked anybody to marry him. But that's the only part of that story that's alive. The rest are actually both true. Awesome. <laughs> Exciting. Well, thank yeah. you. I feel like we all just learned a lot about all of them. Um, <laughs> and I, I also had a ghost story, but I didn't feel like I could use it. So, yeah. uh, because they were, I had just interviewed them about uh, how they were, they had AIDS, and then the New Jersey State Correction System was saying that no, no, no one got AIDS in New Jersey's prisons. Uh, there was no, there was no sex or drugs going on at all. So um, they escaped, and the first thing they needed was medication. So they called me. I had just interviewed them and said if they asked if I knew how I could get the medication. Wow. That was a delightful call. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, so we're gonna dive into some questions for our panelists. I'm gonna ask them some first and then open it up to the audience for questions after a little bit. Um, so before we actually really dive into each of your work kind of specifically, um, I'm wondering if we can just sort of define the difference between thriller and mystery and which kind of writer you consider yourself. So I'm wondering how you personally define that difference as an author and then where you sort of fall on that spectrum. And we can start with Micaiah and go down the row. Okay, I'm not a good one to start with because <laughs> I don't, I, 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 my book is a, thriller but it was a total accident I did not mean to write a thriller and I don't I, I don't quite know how I did it so I'm gonna defer to <laughs> the others here for this question okay we'll start with Margot, and then we'll come back to you at the end Micaiah see if you have a thought there mm -hmm. now I may not be a good person to ask either because in the in young adult fiction we kind of just call everything a thriller like Karen McManus the best-selling author thriller we don't we don't talk about young adult mystery a lot unless we're going back to Nancy Drew but I did recently do a chat with another YA thriller author um, and Ellie Marnie, and she had a good distinction. She said that, in her opinion, a mystery has a proactive protagonist who is solving the mystery and is sort of like taking all the important actions in the story. And a thriller has a more reactive protagonist. Mm -hmm. And often, a thriller will also have the point of view of the antagonist, the killer. Um, so you kind of get more of a sense that things are out of the protagonist's hands. The, I mean, the protagonist has some agency, but not as much as in a mystery. And I would add that a psychological thriller often has an unreliable narrator, and the protagonist might be at the mercy of their own, sort of like not remembering things, not understanding things about themselves. Yeah, that's. I like the proactive, uh, reactive split. Uh, I think that there's there's definitely something in that. Um, you know, the way that I always think about it is that the sort of the animating question of a mystery novel, um, you know, whether that's a detective novel or a cozy mystery novel or, a, a, you know, a sort of police procedural novel like the ones that I write, um, the animating question is who done it? right the the identity of the the killer or the the criminal um is unknown and the main character's goal is to figure out who done it in a thriller the animating question is more often um how how is the person who did it who is often known right from the beginning of the novel going to be unmasked how is how is the solution going to be revealed and it it, it really you know the, that's an oversimplification but i find in writing and in reading that that really does sort of help help to think about you know what is the question that is driving the action of the novel hmm. so i don't know what would you say about that sarah well, first of all, I'm really impressed by your answer in an animating question, because I don't even know what an animated question is. I'm going to go back and look it up. Um, so the, uh, I've had these discussions with other authors who are much more intelligent than I am. And the, and this, the short answer is, I think, that in a thriller, you're going, the, uh, the reader is going to know more than the protagonists who are in the, in the novel. So, like in Sarah's book, you know, we don't we don't know more than her character. Than is it Darcy, Marcy, Darcy, Maggie, Maggie, Maggie Darcy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, um, but uh, 
and in Micaiah's novel, what I really like is there's an uh, there's an ominous sense, and I think an ominous sense pervades both mysteries and they, not all mysteries, but definitely thrillers. So maybe that's why you and I gotta tell you, I'm in the middle of uh, Goodnight Stranger now. It's excellent. Um, so it's there is this kind of I think it's, there's a sense of foreboding and doom at some point. Mm-hmm. So what would you all say personally brought you to this genre? Like what speaks to you about it and and what is it that kind of keeps you compelled? Hmm. That's and interesting. Why don't we start with Sarah in the middle and then we'll go this way. Okay. Okay. So I I mean I I was one of those kids who loved I loved reading everything as a kid, but I I really loved reading mysteries. I always did. I read Nancy Drews. I read Agatha Christie's. Um, you know, I discovered uh, sort of the golden age detective novelists at a very impressionable age. You know, I think I started reading Dorothy L. Sayers when I was like 12 or 13 and just, you know, P.D. James. And um, I mean, she's not exactly golden age, but I just I just loved reading them. Um, and then when I was in college and graduate school, I you know, I, th- I think I internalized um, something that we've probably all experienced: this sense that uh, that m- that novels that have to do with crime and detection uh, somehow aren't real literature. And so, I definitely went through a period where I was, you know, I think I, I sort of turned away from um, from crime fiction because it because I had internalized that message that I should be. I should be, you know, writing and reading more serious uh, kinds of things. And the truth was that I always read everything. And uh, I knew uh, what probably most of you know, because you're here, which is that uh, crime fiction is some of the best writing (laughs) that is happening anywhere is happening in in our genre. And... um, there, you know, I, I just, I would put, there are crime novelists that, who I would put up against anyone, um, and I think they would do very well. But the thing that really, the thing that for me that is really compelling about writing uh, in this genre is that I feel like a, a criminal investigation um, or the aftermath of a crime, even if it's a thriller where there isn't an official investigation happening, it's it's a really, really powerful way to explore character and to reveal character. Um, you know, the extreme events of the kinds of novels that we write, I always think of it as sort of like the pressure um, that reveals a diamond, right? That it's just like this incredible pressure. Uh, and when you, when you put characters under that pressure, you reveal it's such a satisfying uh, way to reveal character and to explore character. And I think that's, for me, that's kind of the main, um, the main reason. I love to torture my characters and put them in really difficult situations. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm not so much, I think I approach things more from the horror side than from the mystery side, because I, I kind of started out as a horror fan. Um, reading Lois Duncan as a kid. You know, she sort of writes horror thrillers. They often have supernatural elements. And for me, that comes out of basically being a very anxious person. And I was always terrified of scary stories. But at the same time, once I got over the fear and actually experienced the story, I felt better. It was a kind of catharsis. I think there are two types of people, the ones who feel worse after they experience a scary story and the ones who feel better. And I'm definitely one of the ones who who feels better. So 
I, I always gravitated toward those sorts of stories, but um, I spent a lot of time trying to write sort of more literary stuff, more science fiction, because I always would get these incredibly high concept ideas and want to turn them into books. But I found that the thriller structure was a good way to make those weird ideas a little bit more marketable. So that's kind of why I latched onto it, I think. And I started out writing more on the horror side, you know, writing about a serial killer. And my second book sort of has science fiction, supernatural type elements in it. Um, it's about a deadly video game. But eventually I did kind of come over more to mystery. And that had a lot to do with reading Tana French, who an author born in Burlington, but sadly no longer here, um, because she writes amazing procedural mysteries that are also, I think, kind of psychological thrillers. And they just, I mean, they have narrators who are so unreliable, have so many problems, they go so deep into character work. And that, um, as with Sarah, that always really appealed to me. I always want an excuse to explore all the dark corners of my characters' minds. <laughs> Sarah, do you have a thought? And then we'll go to Micaiah. Okay. Uh, I think this all goes back to junior year in high school, the day that Three Mile Island blew in Pennsylvania, where I grew up. And my mother came to pick me up at school that day because a girl I knew had been stabbed 40 times uh, living about a mile from my house. And that murder has never been solved, and it's kind of haunted me to this day. I actually used it in the beginning of uh, Bubbles Unbound. It was the theme. So it's weird how things like that in high school can still haunt you. Um, and af even after drifting off into women's fiction, I came back for two reasons. One is so much cool stuff was happening in the thriller community. I think Gone Girl was the game changer. And we all now had a whole different way of looking at narrators, protagonists, who was telling us what story. That was great. Right now, I'm inspired by everybody who I can just think of, you know, Jess Lowry and, uh, you know, Kat, Kat Rosenfield, all these people who are writing really cool stuff that makes me just want to try harder in the next book to kind of either trick the reader, bring the reader in, keep people interested, give a new twist. And so, you know, at the age of 60, which I am now, it's more like, can I, can I get this game down? And I know that that is a weird motivation, but, you know, it started with Holly Brannigan and ended with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Micaiah? So the thing about me is that I just love... A really good premise you know I I I can picture the sort of the the first scene that will make me wonder you know that I'm very comfortable with so for my book I have um, I, I pictured you know um, grown-up siblings another sibling had died in infancy and they'd been really haunted by that loss all their lives and I, the first thing I saw was somebody kind of coming to their door standing across the threshold and one of the siblings saying, it's him, like he's, he's come back. And then I had to, so it, that created a big question for me and then I had to figure out how to write a, a book around it. I, parking today, I was parking in the parking garage, I drive in, there's a spot right there immediately. I'm like, when does this ever happen that you find a spot? So I pull in, then I get my phone out to take a picture of like the number, I'll, otherwise I'll get lost and not be able to find my, my car again, you know, so I, I'm taking a picture of it, and I realize there's like little googly eyes have been put up on that number. And I was like, oh, that's funny. And then I was like, 
what if <laughs> somebody has like marked this spot and that's what the googlia is meaning by parking here I'm gonna somehow be involved in some like terrible it's just gonna be a big misunderstanding you know I mean but that's always how my mind works I like the questions and in fact I have very firm beliefs about how <laughs> about fiction being a um, how fiction works in terms of questions and answers Answering all the questions is actually a thing that doesn't come naturally to me, and sometimes I resist. So, you know, when I think about, like, the Maggie Darcy, you know, the, like, choreography between raising questions, answering questions, raising new questions, answering them, I mean, it's this, like, Mm. brilliant sort of pattern that must happen in your book. That is not a thing that is comfortable for me. It's just interesting, you know? So I think the... I've written a thriller because I've raised questions, you know what I mean, that are thriller-like. Um, and then sort of learning how to answer them is the, the challenge. Interesting. Um, so I, this is full disclosure, I teach it at Moncar State in New Jersey. I told my students I was coming to do moderate this panel, and one of the students raised their hand and was like, you have to ask them this question. And every kid in the class was like, yes, we have to know the answer to this. So I'm asking you guys this question. I sure. thought I had to shout them out, which is, do you think it's necessary to always include a twist? And how do you make sure that the reader doesn't know exactly where the story is going at the beginning? That sounds like a whole course. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder if you can just speak a little bit to that. Do you know where you're headed in the book? What is that experience like for you? How, how necessary is that twist in a thriller and a mystery? You know, how does that kind of writing process work out for you all? Do you wanna start with you, Sarah? Sure. One twist. No, you can't have just one twist. <laughs> there have got to be multiple twists. What I've noticed recently in some t- two books that I've read, um, one which is really good that I'm reading right now called On a Quiet Street, and then the other one I'm trying to think of what uh, was um, Jennifer Hillier, is that you have, it starts off with some sort of crime, some sort of awful thing often involving a child. A child is snatched, a child's killed, something, something's gonna get you right from the beginning. And the next thing you know is that this character, this the mother, let's say, is off doing something else completely. And part of it you think, wait, how can this be? This is a life-stopping event. And so there's almost like a twist at the beginning now. And then, and then it, the really good authors, and they all do this, they bring it right back to that first question. So you, by the time you're all the way down, skipping down the lane on this other issue or this other situation that this protagonist has gotten herself into, you almost forget about the life-changing event that happens at the very beginning. And now you come back to the end. So it's like, that's, that's, the, new, that's the new hip thing now, is the, twi- is, the, is the major crime that has absolutely nothing to do with the rest of the novel, and then bring it right back. So, is that, did that answer your question? I think so, okay. yeah. Micaiah, do you wanna jump in on that? Sure, um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about this idea of how to make sure that readers don't know the answer early on, and the way I did that was by also not knowing the answer <laughs> early on, and in fact, I had gotten pretty far in the revision process of this book. And I was like, I'm really stumped because this stranger has shown up. They believe it's like this sort of magical, Wait, you don't know. don't ruin it for me. <laughs> I won't ruin it for you. They believe that this is, you know, the sort of magical, like, reincarnation of their lost sibling. Is it? Is he? I was like, I don't know. I mean, I was stumped. A writing friend was like, you know what? I bet 
I bet you do kind of know the answer to that and you've left clues for yourself in mm-hmm. the book. So let me read it. I'm going to find the clue where you you leave, you know, that sort of trail of breadcrumbs to answer it. And she read it and then she she did. She did it. She was like, here you go. This is what you left. Like, here are the clues you left. That's your answer. I was like, I, oh, I just my say, God. Number. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but just as a build on that, that is your subconscious working. And this is the most amazing thing about writing is that, and I have been, I am a revisionist. I just finally got the okay done um, on a book that I was complaining to Sarah about on April that I, in April that I had, like, why has my editor give me the okay? I've been writing this book since January. I mean, it was due January. So anyway. But what I'm most amazed by is that that subconscious is incredible. Yeah. It is incredible. And in my real life, in my other life, I've often learned to just ask my subconscious something because I so trust my subconscious. So if you have a problem, you can't figure it out. Before you go to bed or on Tuesday, say, fix this. And then bizarrely, you're doing the dishes on Friday night and you go, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> it's the same as true in writing. And weirdly, I wonder if this happens in other genres as well, but it seems like in thriller or mystery writing, it's like, oh, that's why she put that cop- cup right. of coffee down there, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yeah. Yes. Isn't totally. it bizarre? Yeah. yeah. So that's all right. Didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, no. Do you want to continue, Makai? Oh, yeah. The, the, yeah. the subconscious yeah. is definitely very powerful. I mean, I, I, I try to force it now. I used to be what we call a pantser, somebody who flies by the seat of their pants as a writer, you know, who doesn't plan anything. But I had some experiences where that didn't work out so well for me. And my editor was like, you need a three-act structure. You need to plan everything. You need to have index cards. So I, I got the index cards, and I started planning everything. And now I try to know my twists pretty far in advance. But but I feel like they the twists need to feel organic. They need not to be forced. They need to come from the characters. And that's why the writer's unconscious and sort of that, uh, that knowledge of the characters is so important. But I found that, you know, there are certain methods that you can use to sort of um, get people off the track so they don't guess the twist. You can use a lot of misdirection. You can use red herrings. I, you can just throw a lot of information at people, which, it, which I find happens in a lot of mysteries. Um, there has to be a lot of information to sort through. But no matter what you do, some people are always going to get, guess the twist ahead of time. And it seems to be a really subjective thing. I mean, just looking at things that people said, like my, my book, what We Made It All Up, had an Instagram tour. And there were some people who were saying, oh, wow, I was so surprised by the ending of this. And there were other people who were saying, I guess this about 10% of the way through. So you just can't guarantee because people are all different and they process stories differently. Mm-hmm. I also think people lie. I will add slightly onto that. I'm in a writing group with Margot, so I read some of her early work and I'm always dying to know the ending and she will never tell me. And so she, I think she's very good at hiding her twists. Um, Sarah, do you have thoughts on this? Yeah, so I, I, I really agree with Margot that the the twists have to feel organic. I think, you know, I, I have this little bit of a feeling that in the in the thriller world right now, there's been this sort of like escalation of twists. <laughs> and if you read a lot of books in that genre, you, I mean, it's like every author feels like they have to one-up the person who came before them. And it's in some cases, and I will not name who I'm talking about, but it, it's begun to feel a bit... Um, not you. It's begun to feel, um, you know, really, to me anyway, really like 
twists for twist's sake and they don't feel like they're an organic part of the of the plot and of the character development that that author's been doing and so for me it's it's not thinking so much about twists as it is thinking about how you know when i'm thinking about characters i always think about how you know when you meet somebody um for the first time, I've lately college has been a lot on my mind because I have a high school <laughs> senior, and we're thinking about college and where he might want to go. And you know, when you when you arrive at college or you arrive at a new job or you move into a new apartment and you start meeting people, and often your your first impression of someone is like there may be a kernel of truth, but you may also be completely wrong about them. Mm-hmm. Right? You may not really understand who that person is at all, and when I'm developing characters and thinking about the roads my plots can take, I always try to think about those character elements where it's not so much that it's a twist or that I'm pulling the rug out from under you. It's that there is a, 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 an aspect of that person that has been heretofore hidden. And right. we don't know why. We don't know why that aspect has been hidden. It may be that we haven't asked the right questions. It may be they're actively trying to hide it. And so to me, that's where the, the best, the most organic twists come from, is that sort of, you know, uncovering of the layers of your character. And that's pretty, I think that's pretty fulfilling for the reader. Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. Great. So I want to open it up to all of you. Um, if any of you have questions for our panelists, then we will take them now. Does anyone have a question? No, come on. Must be some questions. <laughs> Why don't we start here? <laughs> Yeah. And, um, I'm just amazed at, at her. I've heard all of you except Michelle and Richard. How you um, how you put this plot together? I mean, it's for me it sort of develops and a more answer like Marva said, but but you can't really do that with this kind of fiction. Um, you have to you have to know the plot and, and there are all these ins and outs and backs and forths and. Well, Lisa Jewell, who's extremely popular, she she does not outline. And I don't know how she does that. Lisa Jewell, mm-hmm. she's British, the family upstairs. She writes, she's great. Um, and some of her stuff is really intricate. I'm surprised she just doesn't plot. She doesn't outline. I don't know how you do that. So maybe we can use this as a way to ask you guys a little bit about your writing process Mm -hmm. generally. So what is your specific process? How do you approach a new novel? Uh, Why don't we start with Micaiah again? Um, Okay, so yeah, and so you're asking specifically about sort of how do you how do you outline? How do you know everything ahead of time? How do you do it? If you do like must you outline? And um, you know, I love this sort of like pantsers going by the seat of your pants versus platters like you were talking about, Margot, and. Honestly, I think that most writers I know do this third thing that's this mix of both, Mm -hmm. right? They have a sort of starting point. Maybe they see the ending. They write a draft towards that. But at some point, they get um, far enough into the manuscript or um, they lose their way in the manuscript. And then they take a step back and try to do maybe an outline or at least apply um, a structure on top of what they've done. Then they keep going with what they've got. Oh, then they have to stop again. You know, the process isn't really one or the other. For most writers I know, it's recursive. It's sort of a, you know, you go, then you try to apply your structure, but then you just go, then you say, wait, I need to check my structure, et cetera, Mm -hmm. which is also how I work. (laughs) 
Yeah, that, that is generally how I work as well. I think what I usually do is I get an idea that is irresistible, and then I try to sort of write 20 pages or uh, something like that just to see if the idea is going to work on the paper or if I, if I still like it or if I'm tired of it. And if I enjoy writing that 20 pages and I want to write more, then I will start outlining and try to get a sense of what the shape of the entire story is. I don't necessarily do the, the like breaking it down with the index cards, um, but I'll just write out an outline and tr then try to write that outline. And often the outline ends up changing as I go. It, I end up adjusting things because my, my, I, just, I kind of push it a little further in my head. Like the original ending is something that's a little too obvious and I get a better idea. Something I do that I think is maybe unusual is that I often free write in longhand or draft in longhand um, because I just find there's less pressure if you're not on the keyboard and you can't erase things. Hmm. So I will just like write out a scene and then type it in and revise it as I do that. Yeah, I'm very, a very similar process that, you know, I, I love a, a sort of headlong quick rough draft just to to kind of get the story out as as far as I know it and I do have a moment it, usually it's about 50 pages into the first draft where I have to take a step back and say wait a second I thought I knew what happened I actually don't know what happens let's do some thinking about it but I really do try to just race through that rough draft because I find that there's something so magical about writing the end like there's even if you don't know what you're doing and it's all terrible just writing the end like getting yourself to the end of that whatever that thing that's in your head is is so helpful and you know i i like uh, over the years i've really tried to outline more i've really tried to plan ahead better i've really <coughs> tried to like you know, I've done these things where I said, like, okay, I'm going to really, I'm going to take a week for each chapter and, like, I'm going to try to make it as perfect as I can make it so that I don't have so much revision to do because I do a ton of revision. And it just never works. It's like I have to make those mistakes. I have to write it the wrong way so I can figure out what the right way is. And so I now I'm just, like, get, like, do it the wrong way as quick as you can. <laughs> like, get that out of the way because you know you're going to have to do it. Yeah, I used to have this agent named Heather, Heather, and Heather would say to me, it's just primer on a wall. I mean, Heather had never written anything but memos, so I don't know what she was talking about. But she was, uh, she was absolutely right. You know, it is just like slapping a primer. But I think the thing that happens is as you're writing along, you realize that your characters are not who you thought they were, and then once right. they start acting and behaving and talking that they would not have done this or this wasn't exactly. them. So yeah. I think that's what happens to all of us. And that's our excuse and we're going to stick with it, right? And tell your editor with the, with the index cards to shove it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> index cards. Awesome. I think we have time for maybe one more question. So yeah, in the back. Um, I wanted to ask about the point of view. I'm a big author all the show and I write posters for Oh, God, no, not that one. <laughs> That's not a mystery. Right. But thank you. Yeah. This one is closer to person, whereas some of the books I pick up from the other ones is first person. And I couldn't find a closer person myself, but it seems to be a real modern trend now to be writing mystery first person. Multiple first persons. Yeah, so I'm just curious about your idea. 
Yeah. So just to repeat the question, it is about point of view and what point of view do you feel most comfortable in, first person, third, and how does that process work for you? Yeah, why don't we start with you, sir? Okay, uh, well, Kindred Spirits was written about, um, uh, it's three women who, uh, as I recall, uh, a, woman, a friend of theirs dies and they, the, their life changes. We'll just do the shorthand. And I wrote that with uh, when my next door neighbor was dying and who was my friend, so it's, I'm just, it's actually one of my most popular books, but it's one of the books I, I can't even think about because it just is so painful. Um, but lately what I've been doing is writing first person and third person, and there are a couple advantages to that. One is if you're doing first person in a thriller, that person's going to survive. At least that was the rule. That has now changed. But um, the third person is always like an unknown. We don't know what's going to happen to that third person, the person, the, you know, my new book, Erica, and we love to entertain. We don't know what's going to happen to poor Erica, but we know what's going to happen to her mother, Kim, because she's writing in the first, she's the first person. So that's how I kind of feel about it. It's more fun to write in the first person. The challenge, I think, now is to write into multiple first persons because you've got to change your voice, but it's still going to be I. And that's a very popular thing. Like in this book, On a Quiet Street, that I'm reading right now, same thing. There's I. How many, what do you have, Micaiah, in yours? Do you have, is it all first person? Yeah. It is all first person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Micaiah, you want to speak to that? I, I mean, for me, you know, I this was written in first person because I just heard the voice. That is part of my process is I sort of need to hear the, the voice before I can start writing. And I hear it like it is someone speaking to me and, you know, in my head. I mean, I, I, I hear it, too, when it's third person. But the new the work, book I'm just finishing right now is third person and I I wanted that because I wanted um I just wanted to readers to be able to have that distance I wanted the ability to kind of zoom up like have the camera kind of pan out a little bit and see a little bit more I I, I don't know how to explain it except that I, I wanted a different view for readers and I wanted them to just be privy it's pretty close third the one I'm doing now but I wanted them to sort of just be privy to slightly more have a little bit of a less claustrophobic um view of things that that's all mm -hmm. for me I write not just in third, not just in first person, but um, I often write first person present, which Philip Pullman has real issues with. <laughs> I just read that. I just yeah. read that tweet. I was like, oh no! <laughs> yeah, he went on a Twitter tirade against it. Um, he says it forces him to recalibrate his whole sense of time. Um, I this is that's kind of weird to me. I've never had a problem with first person present. I mean, I've never had a problem with third person either, which I've written in, but I've never not in any of my published books because in young adult first person I wouldn't I don't it's not like it, it's it's popular I wouldn't say it's dominant because there are a lot of third person books but it's very popular um, because I think it has that sort of feel of like like you're on the internet and you're like reading you're you're like hearing someone's confessional video or something it has that feel of immediacy which is very popular in YA um, so, and I've enjoyed using that. It's kind of like almost a dramatic monologue because when it's in present tense, there's just like the, the, the person is right there speaking directly to you, telling you what's happening. Um, so I've enjoyed using that, that, but I think like I have nothing against third person. I feel like that is more appropriate for certain other kinds of stories. Like Micaiah said, it gives you a larger view of things and you, you can switch points of view more easily when you do that. 
Yeah, I, w- I was also just made to see Philip Pullman's tweet, um, <laughs> or maybe annoyed is the word, um, because the, the Maggie books are in first person present as well. And, you know, I think for, for I, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed writing them that way. And the first book in the series, um, The Mountains Wild, was actually, uh, it t- took place in two, uh, on two timelines. And so the present timeline was first person present, and then the, the 23 years earlier timeline was in past tense. And that just was a very easy way to signal to the reader that, you know, where they were in the, in the story. And then when I hadn't intended it to be a series, when my editor said, do you think you can turn this into a series? I, you know, I kind of said yes, but I hadn't really thought about the fact that now I was (laughs) married to first person (laughs) present. And, um, for the most part, I've enjoyed it. You know, there's something so like, immediate and the you know the voice of that character is just like speaking to you and speaking through you and for for a police investigation you know it i think it works well because it's like this this law enforcement officer gets a case on day one and it's a race to find who the killer is right and so you're just you're in this sort of like headlong fast uh the the voice just works for that but I have to say, I am writing a third person. I'm writing something different right now um, that's in third person, and it's set a bit in the past. And it's been such a relief in a lot of ways to just, like, settle into that third person. Like, And I can my own authorial voice, I can use it without second-guessing whether mm. the character would describe something that way mm. or whether, you know, it's, mm. it's been really, it's, it's felt really good, I have to say. I would love to do that. So I think we're almost about out of time. I have one very quick last question for each of you, and I figure we can just run through this quickly, which is, do you ever scare yourself with your own writing? Yeah. Mostly how bad it is. <laughs> Margo, you want to start? And I will say that Mar- this new book of Margo's, We Made It All Up, gave me claustrophobia. I didn't have it before, and now I have it. So, Margo? <laughs> it's a lot of like wiggling through cave systems. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, hopefully you won't need to go in a cave, so it, it'll be okay. But, yeah, that might be the only passage that um, actually scared me as well, because I did go through a cave when I was researching this. And it was really scary. I haven't done it again. I'm not claustrophobic, but I mean, just squeezing through such a tight space, it's really bad. Um, but yeah, usually I try to scare myself, but I have trouble because I, I just know the story too well. And I like, I know the sausage making that went, went into it too well. <laughs> yeah. Micaiah? I make myself cry sometimes, <laughs> but I don't scare myself. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think the the only times that I've really scared myself writing these books, um, Maggie is the is the mother of a teenage daughter in these books, and I think the parenting scenes are the only ones where <laughs> I've really scared myself. Sarah, uh, I'm like Micaiah. It's not scary, but I do cry. You know, you, it's it's ridiculous. What was that Diane Keaton movie where she's sitting there? Do you remember? There, she's on Long Island. She's writing a book, and she's like, "Oh, well, romancing the stone." Was it something like that? But yeah, that's how I feel. You're alone in this room, and you're up there, and my husband's like, "What the hell's going on?" So yes, mostly that's what I do. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much to our panel. Thank you. And to all of you, the audience, thank you so much for coming. This has been really wonderful. From the Media Factory in the south end of Burlington, Vermont, this is 99.3 FM. 
WBTVLP Burlington, streaming online at 993wbtv.org. This is Write the Book, the show for writers and curious readers. That was a Green Mountain Book Festival panel on mysteries and thrillers. With former Write the Book guests, Micaiah Baygalt and Margot Harrison, and also Vermont authors Sarah Stewart-Taylor and Sarah Strohmeyer. The panel was moderated by Rachel Carter. More information about the Green Mountain Book Festival can be found at greenmountainbookfestival.org. This week's Write the Book prompt is to play Two Truths and a Lie with some writing friends. Think of three stories to tell. They can be scary or not scary, however you like, and maybe they should be skewed toward the kind of work that you write. Two that are true and one that's a lie. Let the game with friends be fun, but also let it fuel and energize your writing in the coming week and beyond. Good luck with your work in the coming week and tune in next week for another prompt or suggestion. I would love your feedback about the show. Let me know uh, if you have questions for my authors, things that you'd love to know about the writing life, uh, questions about craft, and maybe I can work those into the interviews that I have scheduled. The email is writethebook at gmail.com. Be sure to tell your friends about Write the Book and about the podcast site, writethebook.podbean.com. A reminder to listeners who write, I share a writing prompt each week and have been doing so for a very, very long time. So um, if you've missed any, be sure to check the archives of Write the Book at writethebook.podbean.com. You can also access the podcast and link to our social media presence at my own website, shelaughswithoutus.com. You can also find me at shaylaconnorshapiro.com if you know how to spell it. If you like the show, please rate it where you find it. Talk about it with people who might enjoy it. Up next at 5, stay tuned for Feminist Frenzy, the radio show with a feminist agenda. I'm Shayla Connor Shapiro, and you've been listening to Write the Book. This is 99.3 FM WBTVLP, Burlington, Vermont, streaming online at 99.3 WBTV.org. Stay well and have a great week.